again, I'm grateful for the family who was kind enough to move, um, move back a couple seats because that really was helpful. And so we sat down and Colin was still having a hard time, but at least he was seated in the front row. And that was a very good first step. Um, again, Southwest customer service. I don't even know why they were on the plane. I, I was so confused, but I know that they were customer service and they um, kept just like talking at me. And I just had to say, I need you to step away from me so I can talk this through with my son. I need space. Please stop talking and please give us space. They did grant that to me, not without some final words, but whatever. And then it probably took about, I don't know, another five to eight minutes. Um, but I was able to talk Colin through everything and he was calm. And then once again, headphones, Ed Sharon playing, everything's good. And everything was fine for, for the flight. My mom was able to actually sit next to me. Um, so it helped having Grammy there. Everything was fine. And we were home within an hour. And then we landed and there was a little bit of anxiety with that too, because, you know, same thing. It's fast, it's loud, it's overload, it's a little bit scary. And I thought, all right, we made it. Let's get out of the, <laughs> let's get out of this airplane and, and move forward. And wouldn't you know it that we were stuck on the runway for 20 minutes because there was nowhere for the airplane to park. We had to wait for two airplanes to move and take off so we could scoot into one of the spots and things started escalating again. So, you know, it, it, um, it was hard. It, it was hard. Um, and I was at the point where I was starting to feel really just beyond overwhelmed, um, defeated, you know, there was nowhere to go. There's nothing you can do in that situation. You're literally just stuck on this airplane and your kid is having a full-blown sensory anxiety meltdown. Thankfully, he didn't hurt himself. He did, you know, it's, it's, I don't even really want to actually um, go into that, but I'm his mom and I know how to handle these situations and we worked through it and bruises go away, right? I mean, they're not permanent. So that was it. We finally got off the plane raced to the restroom, took a break, got some water, just collected ourselves. And then, you know, everything was okay. But I would be lying if, and out of alignment, if I didn't admit that Colin and I were very traumatized by this point. It was not fun, those 20 minutes. Um, he held it together, except for like the last five. Um, so that's a lot of holding together. But the last five were were pretty brutal, and it's really hard not to go to that place where we've been in the past. And a lot of crying, and a lot of sadness, and, you know, that's where the PTSD kicked in. So that's the story. This is a long-winded, but it just, I had to get it out of my body and out to the universe and to whoever wanted to listen to my story, because that is what is true to me. That is how I'm in alignment with myself. It can no longer stay inside my brain. And this is the most healthy thing I can do is get it out. Because I know without a shadow of a doubt, there are going to be 
hundreds of people, if not thousands eventually, who will listen to this and be like, I know exactly what she's talking about and it freaking sucks. But the good thing is, is that we get past it and we get on the other side of it and we continue healing and we continue moving forward. You know, and and Colin also was traumatized. Saturday was very sad and weepy and just part of having autism in most cases is also having apraxia. Um, And it's not just the inability to speak. It's not just speech apraxia. If you have apraxia, it's usually full body apraxia because it's a motor planning disability. And so it usually, you know, it affects eyes, it affects speech, it really affects all of the the motor planning in your body. And for our kids with regressive autism and have complex conditions co-occurring with that, including apraxia, sometimes, not even sometimes, most of the time, their body doesn't actually do what it wants to do. So as much as Colin tried to refrain from hurting me, and again, he didn't hurt me that bad. You have to understand, this is like what it is. This is the real, raw, regressive autism. This is what it is. It's anywhere from pinching to pulling hair, to kicking, to punching, to biting, to smashing, to I'm telling you, it's it's all the thing and it does get better. It absolutely does get better. But there's a there's two things. If you do not have your language and you do not have the ability to communicate, you're going to get angry. Your anxiety is going to get worse. The energy has to go somewhere. The other side of that is if you have apraxia, which most of our kids do, as much as Colin tried to resist, he resisted and resisted and resisted and resisted under immense pressure. But the last five minutes, his he, he just couldn't control it anymore. His body just lost all sense of control. I actually want to parallel this with an example. Um, there's this amazing guy in our community called Danny. He's a Facebook page, Danny with words, and a lot of you probably follow him and he's amazing and he's a speller. I don't know Danny's exact age, but I think he's in his thirties and he's just a really cool guy. He's brilliant. His writing is just so beautiful and poetic, like most of the spellers who um, have been spelling long enough to be able to be open. Um, And Danny went to a conference recently with his one-to-one and he flew and everything was fine. And he had a beautiful, amazing conference and he was a keynote speaker. And on the flight back, something happened. He had a panic attack and he couldn't stay in his seat and he kept running to the front of the plane. And this is posted on Danny's page so you can read it for yourself. Traveling is really hard for the average person, but then someone with autism and apraxia and non-speaking, it's just like layers and layers of things. And, you know, Danny wanted to stay in his seat. He wanted to be calm. He wanted to fly so he could get home, but he couldn't control his body. It was very traumatizing. And it took several days, if not a week, for him to process things. And he eventually wrote about it. You know, I, th- I think he's on a keyboard at home and he was able to sort of download his thoughts and explain it. I guess the takeaway is a couple things. One is that we have to stop feeling bad for for the hard times. 
Now, we certainly have to surrender to the feelings, right? I keep saying over and over, and I live by this, you can't ignore trauma. You can't pretend it didn't happen and suppress it. You know, you can only hide from it for so long. It doesn't go away. It lives in your cells. It is scientifically proven that trauma is multi-generational. It gets passed on from one person to another person to another person. It is real. All of that is real. You can't escape it. You can't ignore it. So sit with the feelings, deal with it in whatever way that you can deal with it, process it. Just know that, okay, it happened. It sucked. And I have to move forward now and just use all the tools that you have to get yourself out of that dark hole because you don't want to stay in the dark hole by yourself. It's the worst thing you can do. Um, so that's one thing. The second takeaway is that I don't want to overshadow how this amazing trip, like how, how awesome this trip was. Um, again, Colin's best vacation ever. It was absolutely amazing. It was fun. It was light. It was, there was so much laughter and fun and singing and, you know, just walking and exploring and being in the water for so long and just enjoying everything and doing things that he hasn't necessarily done easy peasy, like no big deal. Like I got this, right? That's huge. And when I first came back, I'm like, how could this amazing trip end this way? How? Like, what the hell? Do we ever get breaks in our community? Like, can we just, can anything ever just be like, okay for, for the duration from beginning to end? And the truth is, I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> but it's okay. Because we can't change it. Life happens. We have no control over external circumstances. And we got to find ways to get through it. And so you go through the process. You get out of the dark hole, you use your tools to get out of the dark hole, you come out on the other side, and then you just thank God for the beautiful experience that you had. Just know that you're going to go and do it again, and it's going to be awesome in its own unique way. And, you know, I have, I have some different plans for next time. I've learned some things from this experience on, on the airlines. So I just don't want to overshadow how awesome this vacation was. That I, That's the biggest thing I want to drive home. We will keep on keeping on. We'll keep on doing all the things to support and, and help Colin navigate life and continue to heal to the best of his ability. We have all different things in the works always, and we'll keep doing those things. The last thing, usually when I'm interviewing someone, 
one of the questions I ask at the end in terms of like finding light along this challenging journey is um, what's your favorite book? So I have two books that I have been leaning into. I kind of keep going back to these books, um, especially in this last week when I was really struggling. And I know a lot of you have heard me talk about this before, but the first one is The Body Keeps the Score. And several people who I've interviewed have actually recommended this book. I'm rereading certain chapters. Just a really awesome book. New York Times bestseller. Um, and it really dives into the science of understanding how trauma can affect you. I mean, it's like a whole body thing. I mean, when I was talking just a few minutes ago about trauma, it sticks in your cells. Your cells have memory and the trauma is always going to be there until it's dealt with. It is multi-generational. If you don't deal with it and you have a child and that trauma just gets passed on, it may not manifest in the same way for them in their future, but it's it's there. It's going to be there. It's not gone. And, it ha- and this book is just so awesome and gives you so much um, insight on what is really happening. And it is a really easy read. I mean, there's a lot going on. There's it. Uh, let me see here. It is 400 pages. The print is small, <laughs> but, um, but there's so much amazing information and it gives you so much understanding and um, helps you with healing. And it's just beautiful. God, I feel like everyone in the world should read this. And the second book was uh, Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown. It's a really beautiful book. I, I think it would make such a beautiful gift, but uh, I think it's such an amazing read. And uh, it's not, it's almost like a, um, like you don't have to read it straight through. It's kind of like a, a reference, you know, I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling resentment. And you can kind of go through and just read the sections on that. Um, and what's really cool about this book is she has it, it looks like it's got like 13 chapters and it's divided up into like number one, for example, places we go when things are uncertain or too much. And then that would, that would be stress, overwhelm, anxiety, worry, avoidance, excitement, dread, fear, vulnerability. And then, you know, another chapter would be places we go when we are hurting. And that's anguish and hopelessness, despair, sadness, grief. Um, Places we go when life is good. That would be joy and happiness and calm and contentment, gratitude, and so on. And in any case, um, it's just a, it's a really awesome book. Um, And in fact, I think she did a, a special on this. I don't remember if it was HBO or Showtime, but it's one of the bigger networks. And um, she goes through this book, but teaches a class live and it's really cool. So I want to start by saying that universally there's six emotions and um, more recently studies have shown there's actually 27 distinct emotions, but Renee, and this is her life work, she's identified 87. 
she has been at this for a very long time. She is a professor. She is has a doctorate in sociology. Um, she knows this information and data inside and out. So the one thing that I was a little surprised about, though, was that I couldn't find anything on forlorn. And that was one of the really hefty emotions <laughs> came through for me over the last week. Again, that is like, that's kind of like right down, that's right there with like hopelessness. Here's the definition. Pitifully sad, abandoned, lonely, unlikely to succeed or hopeless. Oh my God. Yikes. That's, that's intense. I'm not there anymore. So let's move on with that. But Forlorn was not in her book, but it could be because it's a combination of emotions. She does explain that in this book too. But that's pretty much it. Thank you for listening. And I hope this was helpful to people out there who may be experiencing similar things or maybe aren't quite where we are yet in terms of age. Maybe your kids are younger. You know, it's just a reminder of let's let's be honest let's be raw let's not sugarcoat this this is hard but it's also amazingly beautiful and we are cultivating a new way of life for our kids because with the stats i mean in maryland it's 1 in 28 boys um i i actually think that that's higher i'm going with official stats whatever official means um, but we have to, we have to cultivate, we have to keep moving forward because the systems that are in place right now are failing. They have made improvements. We have a lot of loving, kind people in the field working diligently to continue to improve, but none of it is enough and it's not happening fast enough. So. We just have to keep having these conversations. Parents, advocates, teachers, and therapists, if we're not raw and we're not honest and we're not having these open discussions, nothing will ever change. And they must. There is no option. We have to cultivate a better way, a better future, because we have an entire generation of kids with progressive autism. It's absolutely an epidemic and it's not going to stop with our generation. And they're beautiful and they're amazing. And they all have very special, unique things about them. And the biggest thing that I want to drive home is please presume competence. Always. Non-speaking does not mean that you lack cognition in any way, shape or form. 